Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and uh, we are so glad to have you with us uh, today. I um, came across this article this past week, uh, kind of interesting. Uh, evidently, there is this uh, fictitious manual, okay, an emphasis on the word fictitious, uh, that is passed around to Peace Corps volunteers uh, that are preparing to go to South America to serve, all right? And again, uh, think fictitious, but uh, uh, with, with good fun in mind, uh, this manual that uh, is titled just simply this, uh, in case you have a chance encounter with an anaconda, all right? So we all know a kind of a boa constrictor. It says, this is the list of instructions under the heading, what to do if you're attacked by an anaconda, they go like this. There are 10 of them. Number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are, all right? Uh, number two, if attacked by an anaconda, lie flat on the ground, all right? Number three, then put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Uh, number four, step, the snake will begin to climb all over your body. Can you even imagine uh, such an experience? Number five, do not panic. Yeah, right. Uh, number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet in first. Number seven is step six will take a very long time. All right. But number eight, after a while, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take out your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth and suddenly sever the snake's head. Number nine instruction is be sure your knife is sharp. All right. And number 10, finally, and maybe most importantly, be sure you have a knife with you at all times. And uh, I, I thought that was only fitting as uh, we uh, continue in our series, Courageous Faith. You know, what does it mean to, to think about going out into the world, this world that we live in? What does it mean to live with courageous faith today? What we're doing is, uh, over these three weeks, is looking at three stories, three stories from the Old Testament. Uh, of individuals, uh, stories, uh, accounts really of unthinkable odds, a, a seemingly undefeatable enemy and an underdog, you know, someone who by courageous uh, faith in the Lord uh, is able to accomplish some great things uh, for the Lord with their life. And what I hope that you're going to see in these stories is the God who's working behind the scenes. And he is a God that is working all things together for his good, for those who love him and for his glory. And we have this hope and confidence that it's the same God then that we serve today, all right? The same God that was working in the life of someone like Gideon has been talked about last week and the life of Daniel as we're gonna see today. That very same God is here and he's available for us even today. It's the same God who has promised to protect and provide and lead and guide his people uh, to victory. That's, that's the God that we worship. That's the God that, that we serve. And I, I hope you know, I hope you see that that's great news, all right? Because the battles never go away, do they? Uh, the battles are real. They are just as difficult and just as challenging today. I mean, the truth is that some of you are in the middle of one right now, uh, even as you come in here today. And whether it's a battle to, to save your marriage right now, maybe it's a, a battle uh, just in your relationship with your children, maybe a, a battle with your, with your parents right now. Maybe, maybe some of you this morning, maybe you find yourself in a tough place today with some friends at school right now. Uh, some of your peers, maybe in a tough place financially. Uh, or in a tough place with your health. And if you add to that just some of the challenges that we see all around us in our country right now, uh, you, can, you can see the difficulty of really trying to find your way through, live your way through as a follower of Jesus. And it's, it's one thing uh, to try and uh, respond appropriately really to a, a growing anti-Christian sort of sentiment. But if you add to that some of the challenging questions that our country is asking right now and that are questions that are causing people to draw lines and, and to take sides... These are very interesting 
times. And the reality is, and for every single one of us, that we need courageous friends. Uh, you need courageous friends in your life, people who will look at you and in love speak the truth uh, no matter what. We need, we need courageous students right now. Uh, students that are willing to go out and to live their life for the Lord, willing to do the right thing no matter the cost. We need courageous parents, you know, who are willing to sacrifice and to raise their kids to love and serve the Lord. We need courageous teachers and coaches in our schools. We need courageous business leaders and community leaders. And in case you didn't find yourself on that short list anywhere, let me assure you, we need you, all right, every single one of you. All right, those of you especially that call yourselves uh, followers of Christ. And so I'm praying that as we walk through these stories uh, uh, again today and and we'll wrap up next week, I I pray that the Lord is going to open your eyes so that you might see some of the opportunities around you right now, opportunities that you might have to speak boldly, uh, opportunities to to love sacrificially, uh, and uh, the chance to live courageously for the glory of God. Uh, in this world. And so we're going to be looking at Daniel today. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you use your iPad, uh, feel free to go there with us, Daniel chapter 1. If you want to use one of the Bibles uh, around the room on the floor, you'll find it on page 613. We'll also have the uh, words for you on our screen as well. Again, Ben talked about Gideon last week. If you missed that message, you can check it out on our podcast. This morning, I want to spend a little time looking at the life of a teenager for who this book is named. And right away, I got to tell you front that when I think of Daniel, I think of a young man uh, whose parents must have done an exceptional job raising him. And uh, we're only going to look at chapter one of his story today, but I want to encourage you even this week to read more of this story. And even if you only get halfway through the book of Daniel, to really try and understand the life uh, of this man. And you're going to discover a young man that was strong in his faith. Uh, in God, from the beginning of a story all the way until the very end, and in return, God was able to help him, and and God was able to provide him with things like strength and courage and wisdom for his everyday life. In fact, if you're taking notes today, uh, write this down right as we start. Just write down that Daniel is an example of courageous faith. Uh, It is so true. He is an example of courageous faith. There is no doubting who he belonged to and who he was living for in this world. And with that in mind, let me just stop right there and ask you right from the top, what about you today? You know, what, what would others say about you and who you're living for in this world right now? See, for Daniel, it was a matter of his identity. He, he found his identity in God. Today, we say that he found his identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he was living for God. He put his faith in God. You know, would the same be true of you? Would the same, uh, would someone else say that about you and the way that you live your life? Are you living for, your, for, for God before anything else in this world? A few weeks ago, we looked at this passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, when the Apostle Paul says, for it's Christ's love that compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And what did Christ do? He died for all. This is what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do now. He says that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul goes on to say that we are ambassadors for God in this world, Uh, every single one of us. And and Daniel lived 600 years before Jesus, but that's what he's doing with his life. And you and I were called to do the same, to be ambassadors for God in this world, to live for something greater. And so let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read through all of the verses in Daniel chapter 1 today, uh, but I think it's appropriate to start with the first one, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It's a historical book, and look at some of the notes we get right from the start. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, a little history uh, here for you. In 605 BC, the powerful Babylonian empire led by the ruthless king Nebuchadnezzar uh, invaded Judah. All right, this is Daniel's home. These are God's people, and they just absolutely crushed the people of Judah and the place of Judah. Verse 2. It says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, or into Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now, I want you to notice right away here in verse 2, who is it that delivered Judah into the hands of the Babylonians? The Lord did. I mean, please take note here that the Lord allowed this to happen, and that's a good reminder for us. That even when times seem so uncertain in our world right now, even when your life or my life, even when we feel like our lives are falling apart around us, God is always in control. He is always in control. One great theme that you'll find in the book of Daniel from the very beginning to the end is that God is a sovereign God. He is always in control. In the good times and in bad, the Lord is always in control. And so again, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, this is only the beginning of some of the mockery and the shame that Nebuchadnezzar was hoping to inflict on the people of Judah. All right, these are God's people again, and as well to the name of the Lord our God at the very same time. Verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, notice here that not only did the Babylonians rush in and really just crush Judah, but they deported. They, they took a number of people from Judah, all right, captive, and they brought these men and women as well back to Babylon. Now, Daniel was one of those exiles, all right, he's a part of this first deportation around 605 B.C. And so uh, of all those taken then, Daniel and others were selected, as we see here uh, in these verses, they were selected for special service All right, in the king's palace. They were recognized for having great potential. These were going to be great contributors uh, to the kingdom. And so they were brought to the palace. They were given special treatment. And so look what it says. And so the king ordered his official to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5, notice that the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Uh, they, were be to, they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So let's just catch up here a little bit. Three years of training in Babylon uh, for these men, these selected men living in the palace, these young men, Daniel being one. Three years of training, really, uh, if you look at this uh, historically, three years of training in things like astrology. Uh, three years of training, really, in things like the occult. I mean, that's what it boils down to here in Babylon. And so th this was the curriculum. These men, all right, these faithful men were assigned in Babylon. Verse 6, it says, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, again, Daniel, and then Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official, notice, and this is an important detail, gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. See, here's what's happening. The goal was to uh, reprogram these men. 
Uh, the goal is to brainwash them. And the name change is significant, too. To see, the name Daniel was a very faithful name, uh, a name meaning God is my judge. It was a name given by his parents, an honorable name that really reflects the parents' faith in God, but also their aspiration for their son's faith in the Lord. But what is King Nebuchadnezzar going to do? He's going to give Daniel a new name, and it's very intentional. And so the name Belshazzar means prince of Bel, Bel being one of these foreign pagan gods that they worshipped in Babylon. It was really Nebuchadnezzar's way of mocking Daniel, mocking his parents, and mocking their faith in God. And so he basically gave him a name that simply means, basically means son of Satan, is ultimately what he was doing to Daniel. Now think with me for a second. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. All right, can you imagine being uprooted from all you've ever known in Judah? All right, add to that losing your family, uh, losing your culture and spiritual roots, and being dropped 720 miles from home in Vegas, all right? All right, no, no offense to any Vegas lovers here, but that's probably the best modern-day comparison to what Babylon was really like. See, Babylon in the Scriptures is the personification of evil and sin at its very worst. Uh, you can see it for yourself. Do a study of the name on, on your own. Babylon will be destroyed eventually, but it's going to continue as a symbol from, from this point in history forward, a symbol of, uh, of sin in this world. In fact, you can go all the way to Revelation chapter 18, which describes the very day when Jesus Christ returns and Babylon is defeated once and for all. But for Daniel, Babylon's a very real place. And he's 16, away from home, an orphan, a foreigner forced to live in Babylon. But this is where the story gets really interesting. And this is where Daniel is going to show us who he is all the way to the core. Because even at 16, Daniel's going to draw a line in the sand and remind us who he belongs to and who he's living for in this world. Look at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. If you like to underline in your Bible, go ahead and underline that phrase, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. See, this is just uh, the author's way of saying that Daniel made a conscious choice not to pollute, uh, not to stain his reputation, and it couldn't have been easy for him. Again, he's a long ways from home. He's 16 years old, and the Babylonians are doing everything they can to break him. Now, in case you're already wondering, what in the world is the big deal with the food and the wine at the king's table? Well, here's, here's the thing. According to the Jewish law, and Daniel was a Jew, Daniel was forbidden from eating food and meat that had been sacrificed to false gods. And so that's what's being offered to him. That's what's being offered to these men here. And Daniel recognized that the food was defiled. Uh, and so he understood that he couldn't control his environment. All right, He couldn't control all of the circumstances around him or what everyone else was doing in this particular moment. But what he did recognize is that there were things that he was responsible for. There were choices that he could make. And choosing to eat or not eat from this food was one of them. I remember uh, one time before we had children, uh, Jenny and I were out to eat with a, a very good friend, 
And uh, it was an older man from the church that we were serving at the time, and uh, this man appreciated fine dining, and uh, he loved to take Jenny and I out to dinner, and he always paid for it, all right, which just made it a, a beautiful thing. And he was a good friend, and uh, there was this one time that we went out to eat with him, and he insisted on ordering escargot, or snails, all right, if you're not sure what that is, for one of our appetizers. Now, there are plenty of things that I'm willing to eat. And I, I used to be a picky eater. I think I've come a long ways uh, in my 41 years of life. But I've sort of decided that anything that I could potentially step on on the sidewalk, you know, and kill is not worth putting in your mouth, all right? And so I remember watching those snails, you know, sitting on our table realizing my friend is going to make me eat one of those and will potentially be offended if I don't. And so sure enough, one of those snails ended up on my plate and I just sat there eating my French onion soup and looking at the thing. And it, I know it was looking at me at the very same time thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Thankfully, he got distracted. All right. And there was a moment where my wife turned to me and said, hey, you ate your escargot, but why didn't you finish your soup? And I looked at her, and I just said, I drowned the little booger in my soup. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, my friend never picked up on it, and I was sure to, I made every attempt not to lie when I was asked about it. But, uh, you know, Daniel made up his mind that he wasn't going to eat from this food, but it had nothing to do with his palate. It had nothing to do with the things that he enjoyed or didn't enjoy. Daniel recognized that the food was defiled and that he would sin if he ate it. Now, I got to be honest here and say if it's me and if I'm living in Daniel's situation, I'm probably thinking to myself, what's it going to hurt? Seriously. Like, I've lost my home. My parents are gone. I'm in a new place. I'm not going home anytime soon. And of all of the questions of life, of all of the problems and challenges that are before me right now, is the issue of food really the biggest problem I'm going to face today? And God's a forgiving God, right? He'll forgive me. Did Daniel think these sort of things? I like how the Living Bible describes what Daniel did. It just says that Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food. And you don't want to know what the truth is? The truth is, for every single one of us, this includes me as well, the truth is that so often the spiritual battles that we go up against start in our minds. They, they, they start in our brain. You know, and they start out as these small, insignificant voices that, that may cry out to us and say, what's the big deal, right? Uh, who's going to find out? You know, you deserve something like this. And so as we give in to temptations like these, it just becomes easier to stretch the truth and to stretch the potential consequences. And if we're not careful, well, if you're not careful before you know it, you'll trick yourself or maybe mislead your spouse by saying, you know what, it was just a working lunch. Right, it was something I had to do, or, or maybe you have selective memory when you're filling out an expense report, or uh, when you're filling out your taxes, you just make some adjustments to make sure that you come out ahead. Everybody does it, right? Or you'll give yourself permission saying, you know, when everyone goes off to college and has a little fun, what's wrong with going off and having a little fun? I don't want to be left out. Here's the challenge for you and for me, even when no one's looking even when you're far from home, even when you're spending the night with a friend or away at school or away with work, I want to challenge you today to choose to be a man of God. Uh, choose to be a woman of God. To all of our students in the room right now, I want to challenge you. I, I pray for you today that you would desire to be a student to determined to live for God in anything and everything, not just in some things, but in all things and for the Lord. See, Daniel's story is really a story about you and me. 
I mean, it's our story. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Babylon was this, was this dark and self-centered culture full of all these false gods. I mean, it represented the center of evil and pride and arrogance and sexual immorality. And if you're just honest with yourself, America is no different. I mean, it is no different. I mean, we live in such a prideful, arrogant culture today, very narcissistic, and we've got our own list of false gods just like they did in Babylon. But here's what makes my story and your story so similar to Daniel. See, like Daniel, we're not here on the earth by accident. Right? I mean, it's no accident. I mean, God had Daniel in Babylon and in the palace for a reason. And if you go on to read the rest of Daniel's story, whether that be today or later on this week, you're going to see for yourself how God is going to use Daniel to influence the entire empire. Genesis Church, I want to remind you today that you're not here by accident. You are not here on this earth by accident. See, we're exiles too. And God has you and me and our church in this world so that we might shine for him. He has us here on this earth as ambassadors for him. And until Jesus returns, we have this task, we have this mission to help people find their way back to God. See, we're here to share the hope and to share the love that we have for Christ with others. And that just means that as a follower of Jesus today, you like Daniel, you can walk in any neighborhood right now. Uh, you can walk into any school hallway. You can walk onto any college campus or in any office, and you can shine for Jesus in this world. See, God wants to use people. Uh, he wants to use you. He wants to use me, all right, to bring great change, uh, to bring great hope into this world. And what kind of people does he use? Well, if you look at Daniel's story, what you're going to discover is he uses faithful people. Men and women with integrity, and it's people who know their identity as a child of God first and above everything else, and it's people who are making every effort to live a life of obedience in this world, and that's what's happening with Daniel. He's choosing a life of faith and obedience, and he resolved not to defile himself. And I want to show you something else he did, too. Look at verse 8 again. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. See, again, because Nebuchadnezzar had really high hopes for these men and a plan for how they would contribute to the empire, he expected them to be cared for. And so not only would they get the very best education that their empire had to offer, but a well-balanced diet too. Again, this posed a problem for Daniel. He's not permitted to eat particular food, and so there's a dilemma, and an even greater dilemma. See, these royal officials had the responsibility of making sure men like Daniel were eating. Verse 9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, Hey, I'm afraid of the Lord my king. I'm afraid of Nebuchadnezzar who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And then notice what he says. He says, The king would then have my head because of you. See, this, this royal official knows that if Nebuchadnezzar gets word that Daniel's not eating, not only is Daniel going to lose his head, but this official's going to lose his head too. And here's something that I want you to see, and I think it's really important. I want you to first of all notice the favor Daniel had gained with this man. And just ask yourself the question, where did that favor come from? Well, it came from the Lord, right? Well, look at Look at some more. Verse 11, it says, Then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, Hey, please test your servants for 10 days. 
Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, I just want you to notice for a second the way that Daniel handles himself, and I want you to see the respect, and I want you to see the self-control. And again, the manner in which he responds to the royal official and the influence he is going to gain through it. Write this down in your notes. God gave Daniel favor with the people. And that's just fascinating to me because if you think about it and if you try and put yourself in his shoes, he's got every right to throw a fit. All right? It's been a really bad week all right, for Daniel and these men. All right, he's lost everything he's ever known. He's a foreigner now in this place. They're mocking God. They are mocking Daniel by changing his name. And what's Daniel's response to this new and intense situation? Respect, kindness, self-control, not a chip on his shoulder. He's not spouting off on Facebook about how Babylon is going to hell anytime soon. Listen, here's the thing for us. I'm not suggesting that you give in. I'm not suggesting that you compromise or in any way violate the laws and the commands that God has put before us as followers of Jesus Christ in this world today. And at the same time, I'm not saying that there isn't a moment to be vocal or a time to to make a hard stand about what's right and wrong or about what you believe, but I will say this. Let's please pay close attention, pay close attention to how we act And how we react to others, especially those around us, the audience that the Lord has given us. Maybe people in your life right now who do not know the Lord and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And pay attention to these things as we live and exist in this world today. See here, I believe there is a way to live a life fully committed to God in this world and at the same time show love and kindness and respect to the people that are living around us. And I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. All right, or I'm not saying that we're always going to get this right, but I know that Daniel managed to find a way through. And more than Daniel, we know that Jesus did the very same thing. And if you look at his life, I mean, all throughout his life, he humbled himself, and he chose to take on the nature of a servant, and he was totally dependent on God for everything that he needed and the word of God, and he had no sin in his life, and he lived in the same challenging world that Daniel finds himself in, the same challenging world that you and I find ourselves in, and he managed to stay faithful, and he managed to love God with all of his heart and soul and mind and to love his neighbor as himself. And we see that in Daniel, and we see that in our Savior And I just got to say that we would do well to strive for the very same kinds of things in our life right now, to be people of courage, courageous faith, loving God, and loving others all at the same time. And God gave favor to Daniel with these people, and as we make an effort to live more like Daniel and maybe more importantly like Jesus Christ in this world, I believe that God is going to give us favor with the people around us, the people that he's put around you too. And as he gives us favor, he's going to give us even greater opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ with the people that he's putting into our lives. Let's look at the plan that Daniel has come up with. Verse verse 12, uh, because again, there's a dilemma. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Uh, Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. All right, verse 13. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so this man agreed to this and tested them 
for 10 days. Again, Daniel realized that if he was going to be useful to the king, he's got to stay healthy. And it's the official's job to make sure that Daniel stays healthy. How in the world does Daniel know that he's going to stay healthy by eating these things? Well, Daniel put his faith in God. And this is just going to be one of many examples in the book of Daniel of a man who chose to trust God. And God gave Daniel the wisdom to offer a plan that might work. It's a, it's a plan that gives Daniel the opportunity to maintain his faith and live by his convictions. See, you and I, we're going to find ourselves in the same sort of defining moments. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to find yourself in a defining moment, uh, if not today, at some point in this week. And when those defining moments emerge, the question you're going to be forced to ask is, well, I trust God. Will I choose to trust God? Can I put my faith in him? And think about how this might apply to some of you right now. Even the question, can I trust him to give me the patience right now to deal with my family? Maybe you find yourself in a really difficult situation with your family right now. Or can I, can I trust him to give me the patience to, to put up with the ridicule of some of my friends and peers? Can I, can I trust him to protect my job when I tell my boss I can't do what she's asking? Or can I trust, can I, can I trust God when... You know, to take care of my financial and physical needs as I, as I seek to honor and wait on him. See, Daniel had more on the line than just his reputation and satisfaction and comfort. His life was on the line here. But with this move, he made a statement that he was turning his entire life over to God. And that's faith. And that's knowing who you live for. And so Daniel had two choices. He had to choose between faith or fear. Again, they had every right to cut off his head, but this is God's story, and he's up to something spectacular with Daniel and his circumstances. Let's finish out the story in verse 15. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And all the vegetarians in the room let out a big cheer, right? All right, for what we see here. Uh, verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Again, notice, where did their wisdom and their understanding come from? Not the curriculum, right? Not great Babylonian teachers. Their knowledge and understanding came from God, and he prepared them and equipped them for this moment. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And, the, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Basically, Daniel graduated first in his class, all right? Summa cum laude for these men. And he handled himself in such a way that others took notice, and he maintained his faith in the Lord. And now God is going to use Daniel to accomplish even greater things in Babylon. There's one little detail that I want to make sure we don't overlook here that might not seem like much at first, but verse 21 says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, we know from history that that's about 70 years of time. And so just think on that for a second. For the next 70 years, Daniel is going to lead and influence in Babylon. For the next 70 years, he's gonna point people to God 
We know from history that three great revivals will take place during his stay and under his leadership in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to turn his heart towards the Lord. Eventually, King Darius will do the same. And 70 years from the time Daniel first entered into captivity, Daniel will witness the return of his people to their home in Judah. And so he'll have the privilege of not only experiencing the destruction of his home in Judah, but thankfully the the beginning of the restoration and the rebuilding of his home in Judah. And here's just what's interesting to me, among so many other things. God's gonna give Daniel a place of prominent leadership in Babylon with great influence and great uh, influence over the advisors and the magicians in Babylon. And well, I, I, I bet he spent a, a whole lot of time talking to these advisors about our God and some of the promises of, and prophecies that are found in the word of God about the coming Messiah. And, and I love this theory, and I'll just tell you, it's just a theory. We don't know this for sure, but you know the word magi? or wise men. You heard that before, those that came to visit Jesus at his birth. Well, that word magi comes from the word magician. And these magicians, not like the magicians that we know today, but were more of advisors. And and again, Daniel had leadership and influence over them. Well, do you know where the magi came from when Jesus was born? We know they came from the east. And some historians believe they may have come as far as from Babylon. And How did they know they should go searching for a star in the sky or go following that star to a king? Some believe it's just a theory, but maybe that Daniel had a part of that, that even 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel was preparing these people for the coming of a savior, Jesus Christ. And he's gonna spend, again, 70 years in Babylon, and sure, there are gonna be challenges all along the way, challenges like the lion's den and others, But through it all, Daniel chose faith and obedience, and in return, the Lord helped him with things like strength and courage. Let me just ask you before I conclude here today, where do you need help or strength or courage right now in your life? Where where do you need faith to trust the Lord, faith to believe like Daniel? Maybe for some of you, it's in a relationship issue right now. Maybe, Maybe something going on at work or at school. Maybe it's a question, a challenge with your health or something financially. Here's what I want you to know today. Please don't leave here without understanding this, that you can find help in God. The same God that served Daniel is the same God that is available, that wants to serve us, that wants to help us, you and me today. I'll conclude with this. You know, we don't know who wrote Psalm 118, but you can tell that it's someone that experienced some ups and downs in life, someone who had witnessed the help of God through some difficult times. And I love these words as we close. Psalm 118, verses six and seven, he cries out and says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Will you bow your heads with me today? And uh, as we pray this morning, we just want to recognize and understand that we have a helper in the Lord. He is one who is with us, and he is there for us, and he is with you, and he is there for you today as you cry out to him. He is the God who listened and was available to Daniel, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the same God for you and me today.
no matter what it is that you face. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for for offering yourself as a helper and for all of the gifts and the promises and the blessings that you offer to us, to your people. Father, will you give us faith today to believe? Give us courage even in our fear and even in our anxiety. And God, we pray and believe and trust that you will provide us with everything that we need so that we can live for you, so that we can honor you in everything we do in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Paul asked us a couple of great questions. One of them is, can I trust God? And then um, the other one is that, what are you facing today? What is it that you're facing in the week ahead or in the months ahead and are you trusting God with that and I don't know about you but sometimes I have a problem with like my head and my heart lining up I know who God is and I know what his word says about him but my heart isn't quite there yet and so I know something that helps me is to turn to his word um, to turn to some truths about what we believe and to remind yourself who he is until your heart and your head are lined up again so we're going to take a few moments here to sing one more song together. I'd like you to stand up, please, if you will. And um, just reminding ourselves the truth of who God is, what we believe about him. So let's declare that together, together here this morning. Let's sing this.
the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes up. our Savior, the tomb is empty, and we can live by faith, and we can live with the hope and the trust of knowing that we have a God who loves to help, and He would love to help you today. And